Welcome to Becoming Church, the podcast where we discuss how the message and movement of Jesus is not just about becoming Christians, but about becoming the church. I'm your host, Kristen Muffler-Young, and I am extra excited today for two special reasons. First of all, the interview I'm about to share with you was an absolute dream. I want you to think about that person that you love from afar, the one who'd cause you to absolutely freak out if you met them, that person. Yeah, for me, that's my guest today. But before I introduce you, I want to give you some really exciting news, which is that the Becoming Church podcast has reached 10,000 downloads. I am so grateful for every listen, every share, every download. And so I want to thank you, our listeners, with a little present. From now through Sunday, March 10th, everyone who writes a review for Becoming Church will be entered to win an Amazon gift card. Yeah. You can use it to purchase a book you've learned about through an interview with the author on one of these episodes. You can use it for some new headphones to listen, or honestly, you can use it for something super unspiritual that will just make your life happier or easier. All you have to do is go to Apple Podcasts, even if that's not the platform where you usually listen to the show and leave a review. Then, and this is the important part, send me an email at kristen at mosaicchurch.tv with a screenshot or your review username so I know which review is yours and how to contact you if you win. As soon as you do that, you will be entered. And listen, here's what I'm going to do. The more of you who leave a review, the higher the gift card amount will be. So I don't know, grab your spouse's phone or your friend's phone and make sure they leave a review too. The direct link to leave a review is in the show notes below. Thank you in advance for all of the listens and for sharing your love of becoming church with the world. Now, without any further ado, my guest today is someone who unknowingly as a stranger changed and strengthened my faith. She kind of saved me when I thought that I was not only losing my faith, but also my entire sense of self. Her name is Sarah Bessie, and you may know her from her books like Jesus Feminist or Out of Sorts or her work with Evolving Faith. If this is your first introduction to Sarah, you are in for a treat as we dive deeper into one of my favorite quotes of hers, which is this. If you get to the end of your life with the same beliefs and opinions you had at the beginning, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> Here's my conversation with Sarah Bessie. All right, Sarah Bessie. I have to. I have to both name you. I told you this in the email. You will forever be Sarah Bessie to me. <laughs> Welcome to becoming church. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I am so excited to spend some time with you and with everybody who's listening. And yeah, there's not a single time I don't get the full name treatment. I get the the full Sarah Bessie. That, okay, that always good. makes me happy. Actually. Good. <laughs> it's it's been true my whole life actually. Then my maiden name, which was Styles, I was always called Sarah Styles. And I wonder if it's because there were so many Sarahs in us it, for us Gen Xers. Like it could were, be. I was always like one of like four. Yeah. And maybe that's why people do it. It's just yeah. That, I was always that habit. We M. were all Sarahs or Jennifers or Kristen. <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh my we, gosh, we had well, five names in the in the 70s and 80s. We had five. Yes, yes. I was always Kristen M. So we gave my girls um, very unique names. Like I have a Marley and a Margot because we were like, we don't want you to have to be, you know, Marley Y and Margot Y like I had to do. Um, but even now I married into a very common last name and Kristen Young is everywhere. And so now I've just worked that maiden name back in there. And so now I'm, I'm three named. Go. I'm Kristen Mothler Young. <laughs> there you go. We'll take it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
Well, Sarah Bessie, before we jump into it um, with your book and all the things we're going to talk about today, you shared on your Instagram that you are in launching this book that is coming out on Tuesday. Very excited. You have all kinds of feelings about it. And so you are stress knitting. And so I have to ask you, did you knit that sweater that you're wearing right now? (laughs) I didn't actually. Usually I am wearing something that I've, that I've made and I've inflicting it on. I've stopped inflicting it on other poor, innocent bystanders. My youngest daughter, so we have four children. Yes. uh, My older three are teenagers. And so they've like gently been like, we're, we're good with the hand knits. Um, (laughs) Thanks mom. My youngest is still quite game. So I still, still keep dressing her up in it, but no, it is. I, you know, I started knitting when my uh, son was born. So that would be about 15 years ago. Okay. And I'm not like an amazing knitter. I'm just very enthusiastic. And I just, I don't know. I find it does this, that meditative thing of like turning your mind off a little bit or yep. just stopping the hamster wheel for a hot second. And that, yeah. that feels good. Yeah. Keeping your hands busy to like get that nervous energy out of your brain. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know a lot of our listeners are familiar with you already, but you are an author and you've written, this is your fifth book. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, it is. It is. That's crazy to me. I think it oh is. Gosh. So I've been a fan of your work from the first line of Out of Sorts, which was the first book that I read of yours. And you wrote at the very beginning of Out of Sorts, you wrote, once upon a time, you had it all beautifully sorted out. Then you didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Story of our lives. eh? (laughs) Yes. I think I put that book down and cried right then. Mm. I was like, one line it because you had figured out a way to name like what I hadn't found words for um, as I was just beginning my journey of really taking a hard look in the mirror and saying, maybe I didn't actually know everything Mm -hmm. about God or the church and the Bible. And I find so much grace. You hold people, your readers in like this tender, motherly almost way. Um, And I would say that this is actually your sweet spot of like holding the middle space for people who have doubt and uncertainty, but also are longing for something more. And so how did you find yourself? This is a very tricky, I know it can be a very lonely place. How did you find your, your voice, I guess, in this position? That's, that's an interesting, well, thank you. I mean, I, <laughs> I think that's the hope. <laughs> you know, yes. That is the hope. Um, I think I found my way there because maybe it was a little bit by accident, but I mean, me being me, I'm going to always point and say like, well, I think it was a spirit, right? And yes. so uh, you can take the the, char- the girl out of the charismatic church, but you can't take some of that <laughs> language away from me ever. So yes. I think one of the things that emerged for me, um, I think because my own first experiences with deconstruction happened at a time when there wasn't this kind of support and community yeah. and conversation. There weren't books, there weren't podcasts. Yeah. Um, and so for someone like me, who was, you know, 25 years ago, was very first kind of embarking on some of these things, it felt profoundly lonely. And I mean, there's a few different ways that people kind of embark on this season of your life, which I've now learned at this point is incredibly normal. Mm-hmm. Um, no matter how much we try to pathologize it and, and make it into this big, scary, you know, terrible thing, sure. but it's actually like a very normal part of spiritual formation. And if you're paying attention, you're going to kind of end up here eventually in some way, shape or form. Yeah. But at the same time, there was this element for me of like, I was, I, I entered so much into like a burn it down phase, just flailing and made so many mistakes. And I think probably some of the only mercies that I can point to during that time is that, you know, social media didn't exist, maybe at quite the same level. <laughs> so it did 
And so I you think didn't that have a place for your ragey rants. Exactly. And so, I mean, I was blogging at the time, but like nobody, yeah. nobody was reading it or paying much attention to it at all. I think I was blogging for like seven years before anybody noticed, which is a great mercy now. <laughs> but it, there was this sense for me of like, what did I need then? And what mm. would have served me well? And I think that that's maybe where I continue to kind of um, circle or maybe why I have, you know, a, a bit of a, a, a tenderness or a heart for people who find themselves kind of at that threshold um, is what are the things that served me well? What are the things that emerged over the years and years of navigating the wilderness and of, you know, what are the things that I gathered or learned that maybe would make the path a little bit easier for someone else that holds that kind of um, room for both people's different stories than mine? Um, yep. And also the fact that they may end up somewhere very different than myself. And what are the things that would endure even there? Um, and so I think that might be part of the origin point. I remember like even when Rachel and I were, uh, Rachel Held Evans and I were starting Evolving Faith, we were kind of like almost joking that we were creating the thing we wish we would have had, yeah. you know, yeah. at the time. And so maybe that's part of it. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. And Rachel, man, what a legacy that, that she is still living through mm -hmm. you and her, I know her sister and Evolving Faith and her books. I've got her, her books also changed my life. And so, yes, just I want to encourage you that it's still happening and still going mm -hmm. on. I know that you must miss her terribly. Um, but thank you for, for bravely going on. I, I mean, I know, like you said, now there are podcasts and books and videos and there are more people deconstructing, but I think it can still be a very lonely place. I think it still takes a lot of courage, um, mm -hmm. especially as someone who I would say is leading the way in this to continue to go out there and face all of the scrutiny and the, and the criticism that I know that you face along the way. Mm -hmm. So thank you for that. Now you use the word deconstruction, and I do think that it's the best word that we have, but I also know that deconstruction means a hundred different things to a hundred different people. And depending on maybe what theological stance they have, it's either a great thing or it's a scary thing, or it's like, yes, great, do it. Like you said, if you're paying attention, you're going to get there. I agree with you. But there are also people who are like, this is, you know, antichrist and all of this stuff. So what does it mean to you when you talk about deconstructing? Yeah, I think it's one of those words that has almost ceased to have any meaning beyond what the person deploying it means right. by it. Because like you listen to some folks and it's very, a lot of, you know, pearl clutching and accusations of heresy and apathy yes. and all yes. sorts of things, which I'm pretty Jesus-y for an apostate. So. Yeah. <laughs> but there's this sense for me when um, I understand the limits of words like deconstruction and why people struggle with it. Um, I agree with you. I think it's I think it's helpful. I think that there's words and whatever words maybe are helpful to someone who's entering into kind of this season or this stage of, of faith or this this moment kind of of reckoning. Um, whatever language serves you is fine. And you're able to use it if it's deconstruction. But if it's not, because it carries a lot of baggage for you, I know a lot of people like, you know, reimagine or reconstruction or, you know, which even though that may not fully understand for me, I've really grown to love and usually tend towards the phrase evolving faith. Yeah. Um, and I think part of the reason why um, is that it allows me to make room for including everything that came before as well. Mm. Um, and treating that with tenderness, even if I leave it behind, um, that it allows me to hold room for some of the complexities. Um, one of the things that I remember really clearly, um, at our very first evolving faith gathering was actually from Rachel. And she was yeah. talking about an evolving faith being a faith that has adapted in order to survive. 
that it's not a matter of being more evolved than everybody else or like thinking you finally arrived. Like for me, I think one of the big dangers sometimes when you find yourself in this season is thinking that you just get to trade one set of answers for a new and different and better set of answers. Yes. And that's not actually what the spirit is up to here. And so there's this sense of like, here's what that is going to, did I just set off fireworks? (laughs) I'm not sure what it did. The spirit and fireworks and like <laughs> snow and stars came out. I don't know how you did that. Listen, I'm the anointing, Kristen. I would just like you know. Wow, that was amazing. That was amazing. <laughs> Incredible. I don't even know what I was saying now, but there's a sense for me, like in terms of an evolving faith, that allows you to do what like Richard Ward talks about, like transcend and include, right? Yeah. Which I think means as well. It's it speaks to the the point that it's not just pulling things apart um, that it's growing into maybe who you were meant to be all along Mm. um, growing into it, you know, a a wider, more expansive, more beautiful view of God and of people. Yeah. Um, I think that there's a little more room there. You in the book, you uh, referred to deconstruction as pulling at the accepted truths to tease out the thing under the thing in an effort toward deeper truth and understanding. And so I love that idea of, I think a lot of times people do tend to go, okay, well, and let's be honest, let's be honest. It's the, it is the conservatives who are deconstructing. It is the people who grew up in fundamentalism and legalism and all of the black and white, that that's who's deconstructing. I mean, right? Like, yeah. And one thing I've been surprised by is the fact that it's not restricted to one age group. Yeah. One of the things that I find really, really interesting to me is I think that sometimes people will look at it and and point and, you know, I think especially when we were kind of very first starting to name and speak to some of these things 10 years ago, like we were, you know, people were like, oh, that's young people. Young people are doing this thing. No, there are so many people that I've talked to in their, you know, in my stage of life, but also in their fifties and sixties and seventies who are experiencing something very similar. And I think Mm -hmm. it is, um, it does kind of transcend age. But Mm -hmm. I think the thing that people have ended up finding is just like, there's, there's got to be more than this. Um, And what does it mean to be outside of like this teeny tiny little box I was given or constructed for God? Yeah. Um, And what's on the other side of that? And it's such a process too, which is why I love that you continue to write about this. It's not like, Hey, one day I think about something and then I change my mind and everything is great. And now I have, I think there's a tendency to want to do that, to want to go, well, I used to be this. And so because the the unknowing in the middle can be so uncomfortable, I'm just going to flip to the other side for a little bit, because then that's where more answers are. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like it's this pendulum swing, right? Of like, maybe you go there, but eventually we come back to the middle and find that like, maybe Jesus has been there the whole time. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was definitely my experience. Um, I think sometimes maybe we have this tendency to want to like, almost trade one kind of fundamentalism for another kind. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't, I don't think that's really what we're after. I don't think that's really what the spirit is after when it comes to these sorts of things. I right. think there's, there's bigger invitations that are, that are waiting for us. Um, but I think that that's one of those things that maybe surprises people at times is understanding that it's, you start sometimes with, you know, wanting to talk about what you really think about atonement, you yeah. know? <laughs> And then all of a sudden you like run flat into like, what is the actual nature and character of God? And I mean, I know for me, like when, 
I very first began deconstructing, not very first, but I think this is probably within the first 10 years of that experience. I remember having this moment um, really clearly. I think actually I wrote about it in, out of sorts now that I'm thinking about it out loud. But I talked about how I was sitting at the kitchen table and I was reading the Gospels because I had hit this point in my faith um, where I was like, I do not want to be called a Christian anymore. Mm-hmm. Yes. Whatever is happening in this story and with these people, I don't want it anymore. Mm-hmm. I cannot identify with this. I do not want to be aligned with this any longer. This isn't language that fits me. Yeah. Um, and so I began calling myself a, a follower of Jesus instead, mm-hmm. because to me, that was a huge difference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert, it's not. But, <laughs> but for me, it gave me some room in my own heart, right? And so there was this moment for me where I, lo- I look back on it and I almost laugh now, Kristen, because I yeah. had this moment of being like, well, if I'm going to call myself a follower of Jesus, I should probably figure out who he is mm-hmm. and what that means. Because I had the realization that I was really good at what um, there was this uh, writer on the internet back in like the early aughts named Michael Spencer. He used to go by the name, the internet monk, okay. and he used to call it uh, churchianity. Church. Like I was really good at churchianity, okay. but I was not so good at the Christianity part of it. Okay, And so for me, I did what I think a lot of you know, charismatic Protestants would do, you you go back to the Bible, right? No Mm -hmm. matter what. And so I did, I went and spent just years in the gospels, just really sitting at the feet of Jesus and and letting myself wrestle with these stories and letting myself get angry even, or or feeling like I didn't understand, you know, certain responses or certain moments and wanting to learn and understand more what it meant. But I remember this day in particular, sitting at the kitchen table in our um, little duplex in BC, Mm -hmm. My husband was at the kitchen sink, washing some veggies from the garden or something. And I remember reading, I was reading the Sermon on the Mount in Luke 6. And I hit, I got to the end of it. And I remember like slamming my Bible shut, like almost in anger and looking up at Brian and being like, I would have followed this guy. (laughs) I would, I would have like, no wonder people dropped everything to chase after this. No wonder it has reset whole lives. Like this is, this is a thing you could build a life on. This is a thing you could build a whole way of being in the world on. And why is, I almost felt ripped off, (laughs) right. In some, in some ways. Right. And after, you know, at that time, almost 25, 30 years of, of being part of, you know, things that you would, you would characterize as being within that lane. And so I You're think like, why didn't I know this Jesus? Right. Like, yeah. Exactly. It was just so much more beautiful, inclusive, and and um and welcoming yeah. and true than I probably ever could have imagined. And I think that that is that is proven true for me. Everything that I ever hoped was true about God, yeah. everything I ever hoped was true about Jesus, turned out to barely be a glimmer of the yeah. goodness that exists here. Well, and, and that might answer or be part of the answer for my next question. But you mentioned, you know the whole burn it down, right? Like some people deconstruct maybe with the intention of I'm going to do this so that I can burn it down once I disprove all the things or some people just kind of land there accidentally, but I don't get that from you. Um, I, so I want to know what, what do you think or what do you hope is on the other side of deconstruction or for people that walk through the wilderness, what do you hope they, they find on the other side of it? Hmm. That is a good question. I think, I think I'm less concerned about like particular outcomes, mainly because I think one of the things that I have landed on for now is how deeply we are loved by God mm-hmm. and how that is the truest thing in the universe. And that you no matter that you can't outwander God's love, that yeah. there's nowhere you can go where you are out beyond the reach of God's love. And I think that that's one of the things that maybe is one of the first things we need to learn in order to navigate the wilderness well is, is to deal with the very real fears we have of getting it wrong. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. like somehow there's this super high steep price that you pay, um, that you're at risk of, of going to hell or sending other people to hell. Yeah. Or you're like, you know, like just like the stakes are so high because you view God as like punitive and judgmental and angry, yeah. um, looking for the slightest thing to hold over your head. And I mean, just that level of um, cruelty and pettiness and narrowness which when we begin to deconstruct and you're like, well, why do I think that? And and where did that come from? Mm -hmm. Um, And so for me, I think when I, you know, where we're going to land on the other side of this, I think my, my greatest hope for people is to really understand and live within the love of God in that way. No matter what opinions we may hang on to or not, no matter all the ways that we are wrong about some things or growing in others, or the ways that maybe in 20 years, we'll look back on and be like, well, that was, that was a nightmare. Much, much like how all of us are looking back at purity culture right now being like, well, that was, that was oh a nightmare. My, you know? Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> you know, like whatever it is, right. I yeah. can look back on all these moments. Um, I think that what's waiting for us maybe on the other side is some of that healing and that wholeness and that goodness that, mm-hmm. um, maybe even would look a lot more like that abundant life yeah. that Jesus talked about. Um, no matter, and, and that there's room for mistakes, there's room for getting mm-hmm. it wrong. There's room for living that out. And what does it look like to love God and love people in whatever life we have right now as we're walking it out? Yeah. And like you mentioned, finding that everything you hoped was true is actually true. Mm-hmm. You know, the things that the parts of God that, and Jesus that we do love that we are like, I really hope that no matter what else shakes down, this still stays the same that that does actually stay the same, exactly. you know, exactly. or, or is better even than we ever thought or were ever taught that it could be. Mm-hmm. Do you have a particular moment? Was there like a particular topic or question or moment or thought that really kind of started you on your like deconstruction rethinking process? Mm-hmm. You know, I think like for a lot of people, it almost ended up being like this thicket of yeah. things right? They're all kind of tangled together. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you remember, like when my kids were little, we used to read like the Berenstein Bears oh, yeah. books. And there's yep. this Berenstein Bears books where the kids are supposed to be cleaning up their room. Uh-huh. And they instead, they just shove it all in the closet. Uh-huh. And they keep putting it in the closet, keep putting it in the closet. And then sure enough, in the in the picture, it's like the closet door is straining. It's yes. bowed out. You can see that it's a bit diverse. And then sure enough, in come the parents and the whole thing flies open and right. goes. that's kind of how it felt. Okay. <laughs> just being like, I kept throwing everything in there uh-huh. um, for a really long time. And, and you can do that yeah. for a while. You know, I think that sometimes when we find ourselves at this threshold of the wilderness, we often can think that we have like two options and our mm-hmm. options are to either burn it all down, which mm-hmm. I definitely did that. Or we think it's that you double down, you just pretend you're fine, put your fingers in your ears, I'm going to go to every Bible study, everything I've ever knew, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna do it harder. I'm gonna do yeah. it even better. I'm gonna yeah. do it, like, yeah. whatever it is. And so that's kind of what that season is. And then eventually you come to this point where you just simply can't keep that closet door closed any longer. Yeah. You can't keep those, those things hidden anymore. And so for me, I mean, there were questions around like, women and women's voices and experiences in the church. And it was things like, um, you know, patterns of behavior and sin and brokenness and and things that I saw in uh, churches and leadership. Yeah. And this was yeah. even before the Me Too movement and, and, you know, a lot of the church abuse scandals that have come to light yeah. in the last number of years, um, which talk about a, a light that needed to be turned on. And so, but then there were other things even happening, like geopolitically, I remember like the Iraq war and the 9-11 attacks being huge for me because it was yeah. the first time that I remember looking around at kind of the context that I was in and just being like, this doesn't 
this isn't how I'm approaching this. This isn't, yeah. this doesn't feel, feel good and right to me. Um, and so I know that there's a lot of folks even now, I think, especially since 2016 in the United States, where we have seen that kind of like geopolitical reckoning of being like, well, I don't, I don't, this doesn't match up with what I know about Jesus and what yeah. I hope is true about the world and about how we move through the world. Yeah. So I have a lot of tenderness for people who find themselves there because of those reasons. And I mean, I think especially because faith and politics can be really entwined for a lot of folks as well. Right. But then there were even like smaller things for me, like, well, not smaller. They were huge in, in my life, but more like ordinary sorrows. Okay. You know, like my husband and I experienced a lot of miscarriages and yeah. I came out of the prosperity gospel, word of faith, charismatic church, where like we didn't know what to do with unanswered prayers. Right. We right. didn't because know what you prayed when you had the faith and God was just supposed to give and the you the desires of, like, of your heart. Yeah. And the amount of shame yeah. I think that you experience in those circles when you are someone who's experiencing loss or sickness or, right. or, um, you know, challenge or yeah. struggle Yeah, because you have such a high view of God. It means that it must be your fault. Right. right. And so there's a huge amount of the like, original gaslighting is like, exactly. hey, you it, it's, it's, it is your fault that this happened because absolutely you didn't you clearly faith, you, you didn't, didn't pray enough. well enough. You <laughs> yes. didn't you know, whatever else. Right. So all those things are all kind of happening and they're all in the closet. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I think that that was what ended up kind of being the thing that that released it was actually the, that moment. One of my last miscarriages that I had actually I had one more after that. But um, that was it but near the end of all of that, where it was just like, you know what I am? I'm done. Yeah. I'm done pretending anymore. I'm done acting like I have all the answers. I'm done acting like I understand any of this. I'm yeah. done acting like I'm not furious. Yeah. Which I think is a hard thing for a lot of women, especially of my generation, to admit that you're mm -hmm. so angry. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I mean, even and, allowing and exactly and allowing you not, yourself to you have room. For that, right. Yes. You know, that that was the moment where I was like, all right, well, we're doing this. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, look, you you've helped so many people along the way. So <laughs> Awesome. Well, you have a book coming out called Field Notes for the Wilderness, and there's a, a guide, a journal, right? Yeah, there is actually. It's my first time doing that, actually, Kristen, which That's I excited. have to admit, I was kind of skeptical about it. And then yeah. I started working on it. And I was like, oh, this is really great. Because I think one of the things that I'm really, I think me being me, um, I always am, I'm not a super prescriptive person. Uh huh. And it struggles me to, it's a struggle for me to be like, well, this worked for me. So it's a hundred percent the map, the, the, the life path you should follow. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so for me, it was allowing there to be like a recontextualization yeah. for people who were encountering, maybe here's the things that have served me. Here's the practices that I've found really helpful. Here's the ways that I would make your path a little bit easier if I could. Yeah. Um, but this gave room for you to say and name your own life and your own experiences and 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 to point to some of those things and to even honor them. Um, yeah. And so for me, yeah, I ended up really actually loving that experience, which surprised me. That's great. That's great. So people can just read along, do the the guidebook, I guess, read, yeah. as they're reading along, and then it just gives them space to yeah collect to process. Their own things. Yeah, to Brilliant. process and to share and to write and to and the nice thing too is like not everybody loves to journal or write like I do. And so yeah. I think it's even got room for things like, you know, if you want to do it in a small group or a discussion or oh, I know some friend who likes to like record them as almost voice memos like for herself. Oh. Or That's to cool. like, yeah, to create art along the way another friend did. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's kind of been fun to see how people will interact with. There's not, there's more than one way to do it. That's for sure. Like anything else. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, I want to ask you a couple practical questions. And so I've kind of got three people, people as I'm air quoting in mind. So for the person who finds themselves maybe right now out in the wilderness, didn't realize that's where they were, maybe didn't realize even that they were deconstructing. They were just in this place of like 
I don't feel like myself or this faith doesn't fit anymore outside of reading your book. Um, what is something that you would encourage them to do? Hmm. Um, that's a good question. I think, well, there's a number of things I think that, that are helpful that we've talked about already, like, you know, resetting even our understanding of God and yeah. having some room for the love and the presence and the goodness of God. Um, I think that that's, that's probably one of them. Um, I think another thing that I would want to, and this is maybe hard to do at this stage. Um, so maybe it's one that people have to almost grow into in some ways. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that has has really helped me move out of the anger and the uh, the burn it down and the whatever else is to begin to name what I'm for instead of just what I'm against. Oh, I love that so. And much. and I think that's one of the things that ends has ended up really serving me well, but it has almost fixed and reset kind of some of those broken things um, around me or that I've experienced in my own life of just being able to say, um, it, it is actually really good and important to name what you're against, right? Mm -hmm. Which I think is is actually the first part of that. Because mm -hmm. I think especially for, you know, there there's those of us who have, I don't know what the word is that I'm looking for, but almost like sanctified pretending to be fine. Yeah. Right. Or, mm -hmm. or acted like somehow that's the more spiritual response to act like your feelings weren't hurt or your right. heart isn't broken or you don't right. have questions when it's yeah. like, I'm sorry, you don't, you don't love God and people better by pretending to be less human than you are. I think we were taught that it makes us selfish to have right. emotions or to exactly. have our own thoughts or opinions that don't go with the flow. Absolutely. So, yeah. so being able to name that you're against things or be like, you know what, not this, whatever this is, it's not that. Yeah. I think that's actually a really good and healthy and important stage of those things. I think the yeah. thing that I would encourage people practically to do is to keep pressing into whatever you're against until you find your four, mm. you know, like, what is it that you're actually for? You know, like uh, one example I talked about in the book was even around like money, which it was such a weighted topic for someone like myself coming out of like the prosperity gospel, you know, TV preacher kind of lane yeah. um, where I was like, well, not that. Right, <laughs> like, we're not going to be taking you know checks from old ladies, and we're not going to be telling people that God owes them money because they gave stuff. Like this, this whole view of money and looking at things is just wild. Yeah, and so not that, but then the thing that I needed to rebuild and relearn was what does it look like to be for generosity? What does it look mm -hmm. like to be for good stewardship? What does mm -hmm. it look like to actually embody those things? So yes, mm -hmm. not this, but then what is it that I'm turning towards? And I think that that's some of the rhythm that we end up almost learning in the wilderness is that you're not just turning away from something you have to be turning towards something. Yeah. And what is it that you're hoping for? And so then to me, that gives you a path for what are you, what are your hopes? What is it that you dream about? What is the thing that you long to see? And I think mm -hmm. oftentimes we find our calling kind of almost hiding at that intersection of, of what we're against and what we're for, or what we're angry about and what brings us joy. Yeah. Um, and what so that's, that's yeah. kind of a good sweet spot, I think, to lean into. And so if people find themselves kind of stuck or turning around and around and around on the, on the rage and the anger and the being against, that's valuable and important work. And I wouldn't yeah. want to take away from people to do. But I think that the invitation then is to begin to lift up your head and say, okay, then what am I for? What is it that mm -hmm. I actually want to see happen? Well, that goes back to the ultimate hope of Jesus, right? Instead of just forever raging and finding a commonality of against the other that we hate, mm -hmm. what what can what goodness can we find in this and then use that as our motivation or to stay rooted in? Mm -hmm. 
Um, all right. So for people who maybe themselves are not in this place and maybe they don't even understand deconstruction, but they have a family member or a friend or maybe even a church member who is in a season of wandering, how can they be supportive of those people in their lives, even if they don't fully understand what deconstruction is? I think I love that question, like with my whole heart. No. I think that that's one of the things that we're so scared of Yeah. in the moments when you very first kind of cross that threshold into the wilderness is, you know, the stakes, mm-hmm. you just do, you know, that they're the currency of belonging is fitting in. And and not asking questions and not rocking the boat. And so it is terrifying to be the person who steps out of that. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes it's the person we least expect, right? And so I think that that one of the the things pointing back for me, because I was one of the first ones in my family of origin, um, and even in my marriage and in the spaces that I was in to kind of really vocally walk through this. um, There were two things that I remember really, really helping me. Um, the first one was, um, something that my dad did for me, um, was that he, he used to send me, um, like he still does actually, he sends me like passages of scripture when he prays for me in the morning. I know. I just, I I still to this day, Kristen, (laughs) feel like I am walking on the floors of prayers that my dad and my, and my my mom as well have prayed over me my whole life. But one of the things that I remember them saying, um, when I was like in the most, like, I, I not only do I think I'm done, I think I'm incredibly done, like yeah. it just and and completely rejecting this thing that we had given our lives to. Um, I remember him saying to me um, that he wasn't afraid for me because if I was earnestly seeking God, that he had full confidence that I would find exactly what I needed and yeah. exactly what God had for me, even if it looked so different than what he had found. And just him having that room for my life and my choices and my faith to look different from his, but not be less than was a huge exhale for me to just be like, well, he's not going anywhere. And my mom's not going anywhere. And not everybody gets to have that story because oftentimes that is the the, the most tender and most painful part of deconstruction is what's happening sometimes with your your family of origin. So I think that permission to say, go keep searching, go keep looking and know that I, I, I am okay with you being different than me. Mm -hmm. That was huge for me. Um, And then the other thing actually was in relationship with my husband, because I went through this massive deconstruction at a time when he was in ministry. And I mean, it just, it reset our whole life. Like it it reset everything about his work, his vocation, everything about our, our location where we lived, everything got reset because of this. And I remember him just being like, um, just not afraid for me. And I think even that reminder, no matter how angry or certain or flailing people look, oftentimes the thing that's hiding underneath it is a lot of insecurity and longing and and hope and even heartbreak. And so to be someone in their life who is consistently a voice saying, I love you, Mm -hmm. I'm not afraid of you or for you. Mm -hmm. And, and it's going to be okay. Like I'm here. I'm not, I'm not going anywhere just because of this. Right. We didn't, we didn't marry right opinions. We married each other. Right. And so, you know, having room for that was huge for me. And so I think that that's one of the things that maybe has informed some of my work in this lane in all these years since Mm -hmm. has been wanting to be that kind of non-anxious presence that's saying, um, that you're loved, that you don't have to be afraid that you can keep yeah. living into what you're learning and how you're growing and what you're you're pulling out and what you are 
adding back in or, or all these things that are part of, of just being a person yeah. um, without being afraid that you're going to lose yourself or lose God. Um, and even if that happens, you are, you're still held within that sort of love and there's nothing to be really panicking about, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I think that's why your work is so important too. And why I cried talking to you before we started the interview, because <laughs> for me, that, ha- that was, we did not have a shared experience there. And, you know, I think a lot of people don't have that experience and a lot of people do deconstruct at the cost of losing very Absolutely. important relationships and, and loss doesn't always mean they're completely cut out of your life, but it means that it's different. The whole dynamic has changed. It means it that does. your conversations are different. Um, and that can be really painful. And so mm-hmm. I appreciate that that's the stance that you've taken because I know there are a lot of people that didn't have that physically within their, you know, hemisphere, mm-hmm. but being able to have it in, in words and know that there are other people out there is, is so beautiful. It's it's a gift of, of time, but also of trust, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah, I, I trust you, but also, and even more importantly, I trust Holy Spirit talking to you. Mm. That to me is the biggest thing is I'm like, I understand if you don't agree with me, you don't want to, we don't, we don't believe like a hundred percent the same things that's fine. But like, can you just trust God? Can you just trust that Holy Spirit is actually speaking to me and working in my life and I think that is is the missing piece a lot of times when people get scared of friends and family members who are deconstructing. Absolutely, it is. Absolutely, it is. And I think that that's one of the things maybe that we have to make our peace with really early in this process is knowing that we will be misunderstood and misrepresented. Yeah. yeah. You know, and even even on those things and in those spaces and, and places and, and moments or communities where we once had, you know, perhaps even a tremendous amount of belonging. Yeah. Um, those are big losses. And I, and identity too, yeah. you know, depending, I mean, if it's a, a family relationship, a parent relationship, that's, there's so much at Mosaic, um, at our church, we're really, really about like, you don't have to believe with us to be with us. Mm-hmm. And so we're very much trying to create this culture of like, you can believe in hell or not believe in hell. We're not going to get into it, but you can be here. You can think Adam and Eve were real people, or you can think that they were not. And it doesn't matter. Like just, yeah. you know, and so we're just trying to collect people along the way that, that just want to run towards Jesus and get to know God better and kind mm. of let go of needing to know the things that we will literally never know on this side of heaven. <laughs> you yes. know? That is so true. That is uh, so true. But it, it does require a lot of generosity. Yeah. And it requires, you know, being able to almost embody that, that gentleness, but also even the self-control of the spirit, right? Yeah. To be able to hold that sort of complexity and nuance and Mm -hmm. room for people's Mm -hmm. differences, um, to understand that your story is not the only story. Right. Um, That's, that's hard for some folks to understand. The right way, what we believe is not the right thing. We don't have the answer. It's just... Yeah, you got to be comfortable with with that place. You do. And I think that's one of the things that maybe surprised me the most um, when I very first started kind of getting more into some of the background or the science, the research behind some of these spiritual formation, you know, paths or or whatever else comes along, is that most most of our churches have been set up to really function well when we're in that stage of literalism. Mm-hmm. Right. They, right. They're set up for the the answer. They're set right. up for the the system to be like, if this, then that. 
you know, if, if you do believe this, then this will happen. If you do this, then that will happen. If, if you do that, then God help you. This is what's going to happen. Right. right? <laughs> and so, and so the idea of then of being in a different stage spiritually, um, that has room for complexity and nuance and has room for differences, has room for, you know, the universality of God's love and the, the boundarylessness of it. Um, that's a hard thing for a church to navigate because it's a hard thing for people to get their head around that that's an, an okay space to be in, Yeah, um, which is what makes what you guys are doing at Mosaic so rare and so beautiful, yeah. but also so hard sometimes for people yeah. um, to say, okay, I, this, we're going to live in this really colorful space instead of in the black and white okay you know right like, let's right do that. where there are no answers necessarily right. i mean not no answers but do you know what i mean yeah. absolutely <laughs> all right well as a pastor sarah as someone whose job is church um as someone who still very much believes in the future of the church and what it has the potential to be and what it's supposed to be what can i do what can other church leaders do to make the church a safe place for people again hmm. I love that question. And I love that you're thinking in that direction. Um, it says a lot about, about you all and about oh, you, Kristen. Thank you. <laughs> One of the things that we've run into at, in some of our conversations at Evolving Faith. So um, my friend, Jeff Chu, mm -hmm. co-led Evolving Faith with me for a number of years after Rachel passed away. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that he used to always kind of caution me on is that we're not actually called to create safe space. That, that you're not going to be able to create a space that is totally devoid of okay. discomfort okay. or disagreement yeah. or, or someone else's different story or whatever else. Um, that, of course, is not, does not mean that a church should not be like physically actually safe. Like I'm not talking mm -hmm. about things like, you know, around looking after our kids, looking after our teenagers and looking after the women in our churches, because that sure. is a whole other thing. Um, but in this particular way, he would always encourage me to look more towards sanctuary. And, and, and less towards words like safety. Mm. And I think that was because for him and with his own social location and his, his experience and whatever yeah. else, it's like even sanctuary is a lot yeah. and being able to create those, those spaces where people feel loved, where they are allowed to be in process, where mm. you don't have to be, have all the answers yet, where you feel a sense of belonging and permission, but also even of joy. Mm -hmm. Um, again, I think that's one of the things that maybe sometimes we lose in all of this is the reclamation of joy and happiness and loving the world and loving our lives and loving each other better. Yeah. Um, the whole totality of being a person as opposed <laughs> right. to just like this loose collection of opinions that you've stapled into a binder. Like it just, it, that's, that's just not what it is. And so I yeah. think that notion of sanctuary has really, um, drawn me in, in terms of what, whether it's an intentional faith community or it's within our personal relationships, what does it look like to create that kind of respite or feast in the wilderness for people, even if it's just for a short period of time, and then they move on to whatever God has for them next, or wherever yeah. their journey takes them next. This was a space where they took a deep breath. Yeah. And they did not feel kind of the weight, you know, of some of those things. And so I think I think that those are good questions to, to be asking. And I think mm -hmm. that those are, are places that you've managed to carve out, you know, even as a community yeah. to be able to, to lean into. I love that. That's beautiful. And I'm getting emotional again over here because I think that's something that I did not expect in ministry was to feel kind of like an evolving door of loss of mm -hmm. people. And Charlotte also is a very, very transient city. So we have all kinds of people that move into Charlotte and then go on to something else. And it continues to 
not amaze me because now I've learned that this is how God created me and I love people hard and fast and I just have to trust that he's going to keep putting my heart back together over and over again. Um, but that idea that you said of even if we can be sanctuary for them for a moment mm-hmm. to take a breath, like it's okay if they go on to something else, even within Charlotte, if they go on to another church, if they go on to another community, I just have to be able, and we as pastors have to be able to just sit back and go, okay, but we, we were faithful to what we were supposed to do while we were allowed to, to hold them or to exactly. have them, you know? Exactly. <clears throat> so. And I think that stands for something and it matters, right? It I does. think especially yeah. when we get on the other side, a few years later, like I look back at communities where my path crossed for like a, a brief moment in time. Mm-hmm. And I, I have such gratitude. You know, for for those spaces, even even if maybe they weren't a great fit for the long term, or they weren't where I needed to be for twenty years, right? uh, They're probably glad to see the back of me too. So that's (laughs) fine. (laughs) There's this sense of like, yeah, while we were together, we loved each other well, and we can bless each other even as we release for whatever's coming next. I remember Dr. Shaniqua Walker Barnes at Evolving Faith one year saying that by by its very nature, we're going to be a people on the move. Hmm. And, and even that permission of like, you're allowed to keep growing, you're allowed to keep changing, you're allowed to keep finding and cultivating belonging wherever you find it. Um, and, and relearning how to love God and love people. Yeah. I love it. Well, field notes for the wilderness comes out on a Tuesday. It's available for pre-order and we will link it all up. What is different about this book than the other books that you've given us? Oh, that's a great question. Um, (laughs) I think it's a little, maybe a little bit more similar to my first two books, which were Jesus Feminist and Out of Sorts, which you mentioned. Yeah. Um, in a lot of ways, it, it deals with kind of like a specific theological issue. But I mean, there's obviously a lot of memoir and narrative and story kind of yeah. within it. Um, and I think that it's been a fun thing to return to that for me, um, to have that kind of, of structure or format again. Um, I think too, like one of the things that's maybe a bit different about this one is, um, is even the notion of me like putting forth things like practices or principles or whatever else that's never really been kind of my lane, as you know. Um, and so for me being able to say, okay, if, if I was sitting across from someone who was just at the very beginning stages of this, what are the things I wish I would have known? What are the practices or the principles or, or even postures maybe is a better word, um, that are good to kind of tuck mm-hmm. into the, your back pocket. Um, and I think I was thinking a little bit about like, so I live in Calgary, Alberta, which is right at, at the Rocky Mountains. So we spent a lot of time out in the mountains and like this notion of like field guides or field notes mm-hmm. that you kind of have, like where you just, they're always a little bit ratty. They're always tucked in your back pocket. It's, and it's less like, you know, if this, then that, as it is like, watch out for this and keep an uh-huh. eye out for this. And here's the path to kind of walk, but you know, you could also go this way, you know, like whatever, there's a little bit more of a conversational um, invitation to exploration within it. And I think yeah. that that's kind of what I was hoping for with this one was that it would actually be kind of like gathering up everything since out of sorts in particular, um, you know, which I wrote 10 years ago and mm-hmm. saying, all right, so here's, here's these ideas. Here's this stage of life. Here's this moment you found yourself at here's everything that I think I've learned. And, and here's, here's what I think would help you and serve you well. Um, and, and we'll see. Yeah. Well, I have been going, I can't wait to read the rest of it. I just like sit at night and I've been going through it and I love it so much. I'm so excited. Oh, I'm so so excited. Everyone should read it. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> the, last, the last question for you about the book, Barbara Brown Taylor endorsed this. Oh, and I Lord. got such a kick out of watching you fangirl over her. I just love it. I love the humanity of people so much. Tell me what her work has meant to you. 
Barbara Brian Taylor, I mean, is incredible. Like, I mean, any of us who have read anything of hers, I mean, she, I mean, she has a huge body of work. Yeah. One of the best preachers of Mm -hmm. of all time. Um, But I think one of the things that really mattered to me when my kids were really little, um, so maybe 15, 17 years ago, I remember reading her books, um, An Altar in the World and Leaving Church. Mm-hmm. And I dog-eared and underlined and wept over, but it felt like um, when I read her book, Learning to Walk in the Dark. Yes, it's my favorite one. She talks about how there are solar Christians mm-hmm. that exist in the world, like those those of us who who were discipled in kind of like this narrative of like victory and certainty. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, that's that's my camp, right? Yep. And she talked about how we needed to like embrace this more lunar side of our faith, the darkness, mm-hmm. the loneliness, that it's not inherently bad, that right. it's not inherently broken or wrong just because it's night or it's winter or whatever, whatever yeah. me- metaphor you want to use. Yeah. And that for me felt like it almost was like, like a dislocated shoulder that got popped back into place. Okay. In some way. Yeah. Right. And I regained full use of my spirituality. Like mm-hmm. at that point of being like, there's actually room for this. There's mm-hmm. room for loving the world. There's room for loving God. There's room mm-hmm. for questions. There's room for loving, loving my Bible again. Yeah. Uh, even if the way that I read it is 100% different than how I <laughs> read it 20 or 25 years ago, I love it more now because yeah. of that experience of deconstruction mm-hmm. and because of that very wrestling that yeah. people scared me off of or, or tried to call a slippery slope. Because you don't have to ignore the dark and no. the scary parts. Gosh, right. there's always an invitation from the spirit here. Yeah. I mean, good heavens, right? And so there's this sense for me with Barbara's work of just like healing. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it did. It ministered a lot of healing to me. Um, when our paths first crossed in it was soon, it was, um, soon after Rachel passed away and she was so steady and so kind behind mm-hmm. the scenes. And I witnessed, I mean, it took, probably took me two years, Kristen, to start to be a person around yeah. Barbara, because I was just so <laughs> like, I can't even talk to you because I love you so much. Like, <laughs> yes. And, and there was this thing of like, okay, if there's someone I want to be when I grow up, it probably would be Barbara. Yeah. But in those years since then, it has just been She's just been a faithful friend and she's even better, I think, than people would maybe know or understand and just her ability to be curious and interested in people. There's not a time I don't call her that she's not like full up with something that she's learning about or interested in. I mean, she'll sit and talk to anybody for hours and just ask them question after question and never, never volunteer, you know, kind of like to take center stage or, you know, to put on a soliloquy of her wisdom and brilliance, Mm. even though she shouldn't good. Um, yeah, it just is, is really incredible. So getting an endorsement like that for the book from Barbara did in fact lay me out. Yes. <laughs> I can play it cool, but we both know I'm not. <laughs> I love it. Listen, I am all about like, let's let us forever have no chill when None. we meet the people that inspire us and amaze us. And like, God, can we all have the opportunity to let people know, you know? Exactly. We're just going to over each other for life. Let the, uh, the earnest, sincere freak flag fly at full mast. That's what I'm saying. It's cringy because it could be. <laughs> oh, false humility is for the prideful. Actually, we don't need that here. Listen, that'll preach. That'll yeah. preach. <laughs> well, thank you so much. This has truly been a delight. We will link everything up, all your books, your website, Evolving Faith. If people want to get involved with that, what, what's the best way? 
Um, they could just go over to evolvingfaith.com. We have um, like a gathering every, like usually every year, sometimes every other year. Um, but we also have a full online community of like 10 or 11,000 people who are just there chatting and, and awesome. you know, talking through questions and sharing information and things along the way too. So it's, it's really lovely little community. And there's a awesome. podcast, a couple seasons, although that's on hiatus right now. That's all right. Seasons. Seasons. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> I haven't had the heart since Jeff left. So that's oh. <laughs> I, I get it. I get it. Right, well, thank you again. This has been a delight. Oh, thank you so much, Kristen. I've really enjoyed it. I appreciate your hospitality and kindness. Do you not just adore her? (laughs) That conversation felt like a hug that I didn't know I needed. And in my experience, Sarah's words always feel that way. So I'm so grateful that I had this opportunity to tell her what an impact her words have had on my life, my ministry, and even Mosaic as a church. If you find yourself lost, confused, or wandering, I want to leave you with this last truth from Field Notes for the Wilderness. Sarah writes, Jesus doesn't judge the burdened one for the burden, or the sad one for the sadness, or the disappointed one for the disappointment, or the brokenhearted one for the grief. Rather, there is a tenderness to Jesus' words here. God acknowledges and even blesses your weariness. It turns out that yes, the yoke has been too heavy and it's not all in your head. If you need a community that's not afraid of your doubts or your questions, or you need a place where you feel like you can show up and belong, even if you don't really even know who you are or what you believe right now, please check us out at mosaicchurch.tv. If you're local, we'd love to welcome you in person, but if you're not, we'd love for you to join our online community. Don't forget to leave a review for Becoming Church on Apple Podcasts before March 10th so you can be entered to win that Amazon gift card. Your review provides even more credibility to the ministry we're doing through these conversations, and it really does help other people find the show so they can be challenged and encouraged the same way you have as you've listened. Until next time, keep becoming church to the people around you.